From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 188 of the Killing It podcast. I am your host, Dave Sobels, filling in for week number two for our friend Carl Polachek, joined again by Ryan Morris and again, Nadia Karatsorios. Welcome back. Thank you. Happy to be here. Excellent timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we are... We are inconsistently consistent, which I think could be said about a lot of things on this program. So, exactly, very, very true. And, and now, and now she's she's becoming a regular on this. So she knows the rhythms and knows knows what's going on with this stuff. So we're going to start off then with a fun question: Would you rather grow wings to fly or gills to breathe underwater? And, and if you can, why? Hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to say wings for two reasons. Right. I'll fly away from the water. So I can stay away from it. And I'm also, I've had this phobia against birds my whole life. So I'll just go eye to eye with them with my wings and maybe get over my phobia. Nadia's taking on birds now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Nadia against the birds. <laughs> Bring it, birds. Um, see, I'm going to go with wings as well. Uh, a, for speed, because I can get from here to there faster. And B, uh, you guys remember way back in the day, the movie The Abyss? Mm-hmm. Before yeah. it went weird at the end with all the purple squishy stuff, right? That Spoiler was one of alert. the most just terrifying movies because they were deep in the water and it's dark and you don't know what's around the corner. Could be a tiny little fish. It could be Nemo. It could be existentially ending you. You don't know. The the, the very deep water, very, very scary. So I, I, yeah, I think we're going three for three on this one. I also would go with wings. And it really is the element of like, well, that would be super convenient for getting around yeah. as opposed to the uh, water would be super fun for like certain exploration. But I could just totally see wings where it's like, oh, I could use those on a regular basis. <laughs> and if I could really choose, I would go beyond wings to teleportation. So if anybody is Ooh. looking for like a like a real like I sitting on an airplane gets me places but sitting on an airplane is not fun. So let, let's let's make that, like, the holodeck actually happen. Well, there we go. Our good friend Carl will be back next week. For then, I bet you think working with Cisco is hard. They're big and have so much going on, and you're smaller. That's why there's Cisco Partner Journeys, an innovative new digital experience designed to accelerate your engagement with Cisco. Each unique journey leads you to the best tools, services, programs, and portfolio offerings to help you accelerate sales, build a practice, and enhance profitability. Whether you are new to Cisco or a longtime partner, Cisco has the right journey for you. Interested? Visit CiscoPartnerJourneys.com to find out more. I'm going to kick us off with topic number one today. I was fascinated by this note. Japan is pushing on its investment in digitization by telling a public that has not been all that keen on this that they have to sign up for digital IDs or they may lose services like their public health insurance. 
This has been about assigning numbers to people, which would be similar to social security numbers in the U.S., and many other countries have the same kind of thing. Uh, of course, there's a, a worry that the information could be misused and it might be stolen, uh, and it might be an invasion of privacy. Uh, what, what do you think of this push for digital IDs linking it all the way to full-on services from the government? So as a Canadian who has healthcare provided by the government, this one kind of hits home because I'm wondering, you know, I have a health card that I use that has a number that's attached to me. So it's, it's not that odd. What I think makes people scared is that it's something that's new. It's something that's digital. And I think coming out of COVID and the hospital system being weighed down and we're just starting to figure things out, introducing something new, it's just bad timing. See, and, and that's the thing. Context is everything, right? Mm -hmm. Context number one is we all are much more sensitive to our digital reality than we used to be three years ago. And Japan, as the second context, is an intensely privacy-centric society. Has been for millennia, continues to be in business and professional environments. They are not nearly as cavalier with their personal details and putting stuff out there. But as a person who has been on the record for a very long time, that I think real digital ID that says no made up names for Facebook, no fake account names on Twitter, whatever. I think the world gets better when we know who we are out there in a digital world. It's unfortunate that it would have to be a mandate. But uh, again, in a world where we can't agree on life-saving measures and stuff like that uh, as a culture-wide thing. If we get to a point where we believe this is necessary, I think a, a mandate, as painful as it sounds, is probably the only way it's ever going to happen. Yeah, it's and I, it's funny because, and we were talking about this just as we were warming up too, and, and I think a lot about what reasonable expectations are, and that always changes over time. Uh, I'm going to observe that that over long periods of time, we have always had expectations that have continued to rise. Uh, so for example, I'm going to make a, a silly one to make a point, but we have an expectation that for services you have to read. Like you need the ability to read in the language of, of the government that is delivering right now. Well, that wasn't an assumed thing a thousand years ago, right? You would be a, a serf living under a particular you know, government and you wouldn't necessarily have the ability to read and it wouldn't be required. But in order to get services back then, it would be different than services now, right? So the, so the standard does change. And I think I, I push back pretty harshly on anybody that goes, oh, the government getting involved in my life. It's like, well, come on, let's be realistic here. Do you like roads? Yes. Do you, like, mm -hmm. do you, <laughs> you, know, do you, do you like doing commerce? You need, like in any way, do you want to have any kind of, unless you want to go full on barter with your neighbors all the time, like we've, we, we have systems that are in place. So I look at them and I say like, we, I have an expectation they will change. I have an expectation that they will be, be, uh, you know, there will be requirements along the way. Now, where I do, I do disagree, or I do agree that we want to be careful about digitalization of this because of the exposure that comes with it. Uh, but I will also observe that I think we're being a lot more thoughtful than we're often giving governments credit for on this. Uh, frankly, if we look at most of the bad actors, they are not governments, they are private organizations and individuals. Like if you really look across the, the vast swath of who the bad actors are, 
I am generally much more concerned about the broad swath criminals that are going after, you know, committing cybercrime, right? Or the uh, corporations and companies that use that data for, you know, to make money and have all side effects of that that have not necessarily been thought about. The la I'm not necessarily thinking the government. Now, I would agree that you want to have a government that's managing that data in a responsible kind of way. But by the way, again, if we're using the U.S. example, there's been lots of agencies that have kept a lot of secrets for a very long time. They are pretty good at this. <laughs> you know, again, easy to, to tease them. See, now this rises to that next level. The question, not just of how we do this and how we implement the question, but the right to privacy in a digital world, right? Whenever I have said, use your real name on your social media accounts, people freak out and they're like, I have a right to privacy. And literally a family member of mine recently actually said to my face out loud in a conversation, uh, the right to privacy is just a myth. Just admit it and move on. I want a digital identification of you, but I do not go so far as to accept the reality that privacy no longer is an expectation in a digital world. I just think the only reason people are doing that is kind of surrender because we yeah. suck at it currently, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop trying for privacy. I think that's a mindset. It's almost like, let me let me think that that's what it is so I feel protected or I feel like I know what to do to protect myself, but if it's a reality, I'm not willing to accept that. Well, it also is an implication that, that privacy is binary. You either yeah. have it or you don't, which isn't true. It's actually a spectrum, right? It's a spectrum of degrees of intrusiveness and what the data can be used for and how it can, how it can be, you know, how it can be accessed. Like there is a spectrum in there in, in privacy, uh, which is okay. Like most things are large shades of gray, much more than they are binary, we should have intelligent conversations about those shades of gray, but you know, the idea of, well, you can't have any privacy. Uh, I believe I can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I believe I can have that. Uh, let's also make sure that we're, we're having more intelligent conversations, just not giving up. See, and that's exactly the point. This is a rallying call for you and me and everybody who works in the industry to say privacy will escalate that that the conflict between the expectation of and the access to your digital information as the root cause of my business model right uh, that's not a question that's going away anytime soon whether you are the end customer the individual user the solution provider the technology vendor uh, the question of privacy is going to get bigger and bigger and it would behoove us if we could figure out a technology solution before the great big blunt instrument of government needs to come in and go, all right, children, you clearly can't be trusted. Here's a regulation that we're going to impose on you. Right. And by the way, bringing order to chaos, that everything that Ryan just described, yeah, go sell some services on that. <laughs> like that, that's where you <laughs> bring, bring, bring some services around that. That's what you should take away from that. Exactly. Speaking of impending doom, um, our second story drone swarms. Now, I'm not sure if my microphone will pick up with proper register just how serious I intend for this thing to come across, because I'm, I'm totally not kidding. Drone swarms. Um, so if you've seen the movie Olympus Has Fallen, again, I'm going to be careful with the reference, because that's not exactly 
cinema or art and literature. But uh, in there, a pivotal plot point was that they were being attacked, not by a bomber, not by gunmen and, and traditional soldiers, but by a swarm of drones that were coordinated, choreographed by some artificial intelligence to bypass whatever defensive mechanisms that could possibly be deployed against them and, and ultimately achieve their military objective. Now, you might think that sounds like a silly plot exaggeration in a Hollywood movie. And I would point you to the link in the show notes that says, <clears throat> the United States Navy has a budget line item for the purpose of achieving and deploying in practical theaters the concept of drone swarm. And by the way, we're not the only ones. Other entities, other countries around the world are planning for this technology. Uh, guys, um, Drone Swarm, what is your level of panic? Well, okay, so they I recognize that they've already existed because if you've ever been a fan of the light shows that are done around the around the holidays, what we saw at Olympic game openings, like like Drone swarms should not be a unfamiliar concept because we've seen them used for entertainment purposes. So I actually have a, a kind of a weird take on this is where I'm actually not at all worried about any of the, the technology here. I generally assume the U S military is coming up with like ridiculous ideas to kill people. Like I just, just generally, that is what they are. Right. They're incredibly well financed. We spend so much money on this. They are really good at it. Uh, you know, but what I, what I actually want to think about, and I think this is where my, also my takeaway comes from is the, I worry about technology that abstracts, harm the, the the harm and the physical nature of that and makes it too easy if you can just hit a button and kill a bunch of people across the world and never see them and never have to deal with the consequences of that it makes it such a sterile interaction it's also really easy to do it's really easy to kill a bunch of people when it's a button and then they're dead and you have no cleanup and you don't have to see it and you never see the suffering uh, war, all of the elements of it should be an incredibly rare, rare thing that, and we need preventative things to keep that. And the best one is seeing it. Yes. And I, but I don't know, is it any more daunting than the, the big nuclear button or a coordinated amount, like a big amount of manned planes going somewhere? Like why... Is it just because it's new and it's something well, people are I would familiar I would, with? I would tell you my, my idea on what, what the difference is, is that it is surgical versus yes. uh, okay. so, so if you hit the nuclear button, uh, it's really big and it's also likely two-way instantaneously and it escalates. So we all know the scenario where it escalates really fast. And even in the situation where you can you hit the button and it launches a bomb, like that that is kind of bigger where this particular use can be used so surgically and so particular that you can say like, I'm going to kill these five specific people and I'm going to hit a button and then they are gone as opposed to no, you know, you hit the big nuclear button and it's just such a sledgehammer that it's, it's kind of impossible to get away from that. That would be my offer on what, what the difference is. That's definitely fair. And it's just, I think it's more the, like, the first time I heard about Amazon dropping something off with a drone, it was strange. It was like, how are they going to, how are they going to know it's not my house and not my neighbor's house? I think it's just this, 
feeling of, of a robot, of doing something that we're so used to a human doing, as much as we've come a long way, I still feel like we're afraid of it. And there's this, this, this fear portion that is involved just with the idea of it. See, Dave, I will, I will agree with your original assumption. We've all seen the light show, Super Bowl halftimes, the Olympics opening ceremony. I have seen choreographed and coordinated displays where individual mini UAVs behave as though they are a pixel on a digital screen. That's fascinating. But at least as far as I know, none of them were carrying an explosive payload at the time. That's where this thing ratchets up. It's like clearly we have seen through demonstration that this technology exists and you can control a very high quantity of very, very small things to go out and do stuff in the real world. And if you want to do that for the purposes of showing country flags at the opening ceremony of the Olympics, ooh, I'm going to be a nerd in the background cheering you on. If you want to bring bombs with those things, now I go, uh, conventional measures for defense and protection do not actually work against that stuff. So I certainly hope that they're arguing in the affirmative and in the alternative inside the Department of Defense to come up with defense measures to this as well. But my further thing, and this is where the sarcastic smartass in me comes out, um, how many years have we been talking about a drone delivering me a burrito? And they still can't figure that thing out, but they could figure out how to have a drone deliver a block of C4 to my noggin. I, I'm, I'm hoping that in the history of military science innovations that become commercial applications later on, I have high hopes that they intend to release this in its benign form, but I, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm sitting over here waiting for a burrito. Well, so it's it's interesting you bring that up because as a reminder, like you know, and, and I f think this is important to highlight, and I'm I'm feeling very pro, you know, very rah rah today. Uh, let me let me observe that investments in this kind of in in these kinds of technologies by the U.S. government have paid off in so many ways. You know, the internet, GPS, like you know, and and in aviation investments, in space investments, like like like. We as inv as investors in in those of us that are American or on this, our money is well spent. Like we generally get back lots of really great things for our investment here. So I think the the positive side on this would be like, oh yeah, Ryan, I I would think some of this tech is gonna gonna appear in the burrito delivering drone that will eventually appear for us, right? Uh, where I where I do. I want to circle around back to that sort of lesson in thinking for, for anybody in our space is the, like, I do think it's really important to think about those, the, the consequences, like, in, and the endpoints of these investments. And by the way, positive and negative. You can make an investment in a tech and you can have benefits on that. And, and there are lots of tech that I think we're super scared of that will actually see amplification. Like, for example, the more I keep digging into this generative AI, and I'm going off on a tangent, but like, the, the more I think, like, oh, yeah, that's going to help artists. Like, I actually see that, see that's going to do some amplification. There will be some change in the work. I, th I think that's going to go that way. I look at this and I say, like, there's a lot of space for this to be amplified, for this to be really good thing. I just want to make sure that we're not abstracting away too many consequences from the technology in all of its forms. And that's 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 the thing. And I, and I think you can take that insight to your customers 
and you can talk downsides of implementation very realistically and build trust that way. It's not a fear sale. It's a let's talk about the realistic outcomes and offset those things. See, and just to do a quick reinforcement of the fear side, uh, don't think for a second that we're the only ones who are working yeah. on this technology, right? Like uh, the, the roster, if you read the article, again, very, very straightforward. They're like, hey, we're doing this. So it's Turkey. So is Iran. So is Israel. So uh, you get to choose whether or not those guys are good guys or bad guys, depending on your own perspective. But uh, it's coming and we should all be aware of the fact that technology uh, again i'm a big fan of velcro and tang i love it when the government <laughs> goes out there and introduces new things like that based on their original research i just want to make sure everybody knows it's a way more digitally equal theater globally than it ever used to be right like there used to be a superpower who had a thing and everybody else went okay boss whatever you want us to do uh it doesn't take a superpower's military budget to create a drone swarm. And while Ryan Googles how to get a burrito for lunch, I'm gonna switch to the third topic. Uh, this is out of Australia. They are going to be increasing penalties for data breaches following major cyber attacks. So in recent weeks, there's been a bunch of cyber attacks, large ones that have hit the news. And because of this, they're looking at proposing changes where maximum penalties will be over 50 million Australian dollars. So now, the onus for these cyber breaches are going to the companies that are letting this happen that don't have security in place. What do you both think about that? Well, I'm kind of dying to, to say this and hear what you think, Nadia, is like the, the new voice in a way, because for me, I look at this and say like, okay, going to hit a couple of my favorites on this one, right? So the, I always talk about financial consequences and financial incentives. Like, okay, finally, we're talking some numbers that actually might matter. Uh, I will observe smaller market, right? And so will a, you know, is that measured on total revenue, Australian revenue? Uh, you know, that that's going to be a key implementation detail uh, about the way, way this all works. Um, you know, then then you look at it and say, I get it. I get why both the Australians and I would could, could easily see the Europeans doing the same thing. Like they get all the downsides with none of the upsides of a lot of these technology, a lot of a lot of big tech technology, and a lot of the stuff that we we talk about. Uh, if the fine gets so high, are you more inclined to pay a ransom, right? Because if you get if you if you are being extorted and the fine is so high for it, do you are you now inclined to pay the ransom and do a cover up now cover ups are never good but are we motivating the wrong behaviors uh kind of thumbs up for making this more real i'm just looking at this sort of saying i'm not sure that the right way to fix the cybersecurity problem is make things harder on the victims i would agree like i as i'm reading this article i'm imagining the bad guys rubbing their hands together saying so all i have to do is make the ransom a little less than that and then it's it's not so bad. And it, it made it really interesting. But then at the same time, it made me think, you know, again, as someone in the MSP space, is this helping our story when we're going to our end users and our end customers and saying we have to put these protocols in place to, to keep you protected and give you access to your data no matter what? Is this, is this helping us with our storyline? I see. And that's where I think 
the, the original noble intention is that we want people to wake up and take the question of cybersecurity more seriously than they currently do. You can use carrots and you can use sticks. You can use positive or negative motivation. Uh, whatever we've tried so far, according to the evidence, has not worked, right? Because I am of the opinion that while certain entities, certain organizations, certain individuals are incredibly focused on the question of cybersecurity. As a culture, we are not. And we're just still living in that uh, never happens to me. I'm fine until it's not fine. And then we all tear out our hair and wonder, why didn't somebody do something to make this go away? I'm, I, I do believe in this case that a stick is going to be more effective than a carrot. Um, but Dave, you've also said for a number of years that we all wring our hands, in, and especially in the MSP community, to your point, Nadia, um, we all go out to customers and we say, oh, a cyber breach, it could be existential, could be the end of the world. The consequences, the boogeyman, right? And then big breaches happen and none of the executives lose their jobs and that company's stock price didn't go down and there are no real world penalties from the marketplace. People just go, oh, well, I mean, I lost some stuff and I wish I hadn't and I didn't like that bad PR, but dot, 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 I'm fine. I'm not spending a dollar on prevention, that attitude is prevailing. And I think we need to do something about it. I don't know what the dollar should be. I don't know what the mechanism for calculation should be. But I am here to say somebody needs to make it happen where we as a culture wake up and go, you know, I think we're all cool with the idea of physical security and with the necessary implications of police forces and so forth. We wish that wasn't necessary. We could all just kumbaya, but we admit that that's not true. We need to get to that point in a digital world where we just admit this is every bit as serious as physical security. It's time for people to be responsible citizens and step up. So, so by the way, there's a subtlety here in the government statement that I, I want to make sure we, we are highlighting is a significantly increased penalties for repeated or serious privacy breaches though that phrase is doing a lot of heavy lifting because you know, because you know what is you know what is the definition of repeated what is the definition of serious if that is a set of standards this is an Australian law so we come out of the the Australian cyber uh, cyber crime you know, groups that define this as opposed to like NIST or the UK cyber center like they're going to define some rules and they will define some standards. That's good. I like, I also like the fact that, you know, they, maybe this is just like, if you keep screwing this up, <laughs> very bad. I, I, I've been thinking a lot about, I, cause I'm the one talking about the, the physical uh, analogies as well. Right. And I like thinking about it in terms of physical crime, but everyone who says like, well, you have locks for your doors, right? I go, okay, I get that. I do have a lock on my front door. But the penalty for forgetting to lock my door for five minutes is not a swarm of, of uh, criminals invading my house. Like, the way I've actually dealt with security is much more holistically to make sure that I live in a society that has some management for this, that isn't allowing gangs to roam freely, that, that come by every 30 seconds. Like, the analogy breaks down a lot when you say, like, oh, you know, you buy locks. It's, well, yeah, but the but the... 
the wave of crime is so different to then when I compare against physical that we that it breaks down. And that's important to acknowledge. You don't tell the victim of, of, of flooding, well, you know, you didn't put enough sandbags out. It's like, well, well wait a second, that was a tsunami. Like, <laughs> like, like I can't be expected that, that a couple of good sandbags and good, you know, keeping my door closed prevents mass flooding. Uh, and this is where we, we need to start regaging this problem and focus a little bit more on the act the, we call them actors, but the criminals that are that are doing this more than blame the victim. Absolutely. And I'm actually really curious to watch this. Is this a threat that the government is saying? Is it just so that people put this into place or are they actually going to act on it? I'm curious and we'll be watching closely to see what they actually do with it. See, and, and I'll, go a, I'll go a step further in your world, Dave. If this is Salvo 1 and we're just doing this to rattle cages and get people to wake up and take it seriously, uh, okay, cool. I, I like the step in that direction. I agree with the definition of repeatedness and significance and, and, and all of that, right? Like we, we need to get there on the definitions. But this is not the same as an individual crime that is a victim of their own negligence, right? Like if I leave my door unlocked and you steal my TV – Okay, that's on me, and, and I re really wish that that hadn't happened. But if I am an organization and you cyber penetrate my database and you gain access to a thousand or more of my customers and their private information, this is not a crime of individual impact and, and, and consequences. This is much more like the concept of toxic waste, where I did my business activity and then my negligence impacted everybody else who is exposed to the consequences of my of my negligence i think this is a place where we we have said as a culture if you are going to pollute the world with toxic waste there comes a point where you get slap on the wrist and then there's consequence and then there's a fine and then there's a point in that in that continuum where you no longer enjoy the privilege of continuing to be a business we take that away from you. Everybody says, oh, but you can't penalize them out of business. Not on first offense, but eventually, sure we can. Absolutely, especially when you're affecting that many people. I'm going to laugh. Clearly, Carl is away because Ryan has slid into my slot with the toxic waste analogy, and I am forced to call it. We have run out of time. <laughs> this is the end. We appreciate you listening. Please share and like on all the socials. Tell your friends if you like the, the podcast. And this has been episode 188 of the Killing It. Killing It. Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.